Well, hey there, guys. What's up? It's me, Heather. I'm back with another episode of my Strike Boat audiobook podcast on Substack. Today is January 18th, 2022, and we are in a beautiful part of the world with plenty of fresh snow today. And wherever you are, I hope that you are keeping your spirits up and keeping happy. And if you are not, uh, please reach out. You can feel free to reach out to me if you like. I've got my comments open. And uh, with that, uh, let's get started. All right. Today, we are going to read Chapter 7. Chapter 7, Jenna. They stood in a cluster in the lounge where the light was better, a sense of unreality hovering over them. Not knowing where Doucette had gone was terrifying. Carrie peered out the window. Man, if that dude got up and walked away after you clubbed him, he's tougher than most. Lodi nodded. That he is, my friend. Mary looked at Jay. Do you think he did something to the generator to make it stop working? Jay shrugged. Could be. It can't be out of fuel. It's only been running a couple hours. Carrie stepped forward and looked at Mary innocently. Maybe someone's gotten into it. His eyes widened and he leaned towards her. I heard some of the older boys at school talking about how they'd scored some diesel. Maybe it was from your tank. Carrie glanced at Lodi anxiously. Lodi rolled his eyes. Jenna caught this minute interaction and wondered again if something was going on between them. She looked at Lodi appraisingly. He seemed to feel her eyes on him. He glanced at her. She heard him clear his throat. Look, he said, that man out there is missing, and he's not something we want to underestimate. He's dangerous. Hell, he's a fucking sociopath. That that got Jenna's attention. Earlier, you mentioned that you know this guy. You want to fill us in? Lodi nodded. His eyes grew clouded, almost like he'd gone someplace the past, perhaps. I know him, all right. He pulled up his shirt, revealing two small indented scars on his tanned and chiseled abdomen. He shot me outside Kandahar. That was a long time ago, he said. He held out Doucette's wallet. Jenna dragged her gaze away from Lodi's abs and took it. Opening it with shaking fingers, she found herself staring into the cold steel eyes of Gilles Doucette. She looked at Jay. Doucette, she said. His name was on the minutes of that meeting. Gilles Doucette. Jay nodded. I remember. Jenna felt that sink in. Doucette indeed was one of them. Flag, the Freedom, Liberty, Altruism, Generosity group, had sent a killer here, to her, to make her take the slideshow down. There was no more hiding from the truth of that, and he was out there somewhere just outside the building. She wanted to drop his wallet. It felt like something poisonous. Instead, she handed it back to Lodi. Thanks, he said. His name is Gilles Doucette, that's true, but he's more commonly referred to as the Fox. I was in active duty outside Kandahar. He was selling weapons to insurgents. A lot of people lost their lives because of him. There was a weapons hovel, a place that manufactured IEDs, improvised explosive devices, Intel told us it had been deactivated, sent us in to scout for evidence, but Doucette was there. I led my men in close, and Doucette threw out a couple bombs. 
He broke off, took a moment to lower his head, pinched the bridge of his nose and closed his eyes. When he looked back up at her, there was anguish on his face and it was raw. He killed my men. I lived. Only me. I will never forget that night. I see it in my dreams. I see myself crawling on the desert with blood pouring out of my ears, crawling from one dead or dying friend to another, trying to call for medevac, not knowing if they could hear me or not because both my eardrums ruptured in the blast. And then I see Doucette come out of that hovel. He shot me. No hesitation. He just looked me in the eyes and shot me twice. And then he turned around and walked away. He held up his shirt again to show the scars. I was wearing body armor, but the slugs pierced my skin enough to do this. Because of him, I lost eight friends that night. I think it made me go a little crazy. Doctor said I had PTSD. Maybe I do. Who knows? I started digging, started following him around, tracking him through Europe. In addition to running weapons, Doucette is listed as a suspect in a host of murder investigations. All the victims women, a string of bodies strewn across the continent, 11 of them that they know of, all with some connection linking back to him. 11 women, tortured, one filleted so bad it looked like she had gills. Jesus, Jenna said. He broke off speaking and Jenna saw a shudder ripple through him. He looked at her. I came across forensics photos of his victims at one point. They were horrific. He lowered his eyes again. With some of them, it must have taken hours. Jenna felt her eyes well up with tears. What was this man capable of? This man they'd sent to kill her. She thought about the lack of response from the police. He's after me, she said to Lodi softly. Her voice was feathery. She couldn't seem to make it come out of her any louder or stronger, even though she tried to. They sent him after me to kill me, and he's here. Lodi looked at her steadily. He won't stop. He'll never stop until he finds you. And if he gets to you, he's going to punish you. For whatever reason, he's here in the first place, and also for what I did to his face outside. I didn't know it was him at the time. He had a hold of this young lady here. He had a gun to her head. I had to stop him. But the fox is going to be severely pissed, and he's going to take it out on you. I can't let that happen. I won't. He broke off for a minute, looked around at all of the anxious faces. Now, I've shared what I know with all of you. Mind if I ask what you all did to get you set on your ass? Must have been something big, or he wouldn't waste his time. Something to do with this slideshow he mentioned? Jenna took a big breath in, happy to have some something to concentrate on besides the man who was after her and how monstrous he was. She began with the election, what she'd discovered, why she'd run. She told him how she'd known that there was something wrong in Mount Bridges for a while now because in her time in office, men had come to her, tried to bribe her, threaten her, men who were nice, upstanding residents of the wealthier side of the county. She told him about the toxic waste being stored in the marshland, the cancer deaths on the nearby Oneida Nation, the ooze that the kids saw coming out of the sewer grate today on Piedmont. Then she told him about the email from Cynthia Jennings, how it had come in during the earthquakes. 
She tried to describe the fracking damage, then gave up. You might as well watch the video. She led him to the laptop, noticing that it was running on battery power now. He beckoned for Wanda to join him, and together they watched the video. When it got to the part that showed the map marked Manico frac sites, Jenna paused it. She pointed at the map, at the little red pin outside Mount Bridges. That about where your place is? She asked him wearily. He nodded. Yes, ma'am, he said sadly. Looks like that there red pin would be on King's Land, right across the road from me. He looked at Wanda. That new building that King built, the one with the flare vent out back, it's some kind of fracking. That's what he's been doing. She nodded. I knew it was something like that, some kind of drilling or something underground. Jenna pressed play again. When they had finished watching, she noticed that Wanda had tears of anger in her eyes and Lodi had his arm tight around her shoulders. She gave them a minute to absorb the information. My mom was right, said Lodi. Folks around here called her a hippie, but she was right. She always told me that there was a handful of evil people running things, rich men, she called them, the owners of the means of production. Anyway, she said that they existed, and she was right. We've come face to face with them. Who else would do a thing like this? Same kind of men that sell weapons to a war they have no part in, making money off of people's lives. He took a deep breath. Wanda, the aquifers, that slideshow said they've drained them. That could explain the problems we've been having with our wells. Wanda nodded. Then her hands rose up to clench in fists in front of her chest. She did a little shimmy of frustration, then scowled. Ooh, this makes me mad. To think that they'd take this big a gamble with our land, our water, it's infuriating. Yes, it is. Jenna was thinking about her turtles. A year ago, I was a conservation officer at a provincially funded wildlife sanctuary, and I had no idea that fracking was going on in this area. Yet it obviously must have been. I'd also not been told that chemical waste was being warehoused in a marshland that belonged to us. And yet, someone in my chain of command had to have known. There I was, spending government money, taxpayer money, legitimately trying to investigate factors within the turtle's habitat that might explain why their numbers were declining, why there were mutated specimens washing up dead along the riverbanks. I gave my superiors reports that they sat and blandly listened to, yet some of them must have known that the turtles were dying from the toxins. The problem was never the habitat at all. It was blatant disregard for life, both human and natural, so that shady business owners could make money. It makes me wonder if any so-called government-funded environmental protective measures are actually in place to serve that purpose or if they're just an elaborate decoy structure that's set up to lull the public into thinking that our natural resources are protected. The obvious answer as to what was going wrong was rampant, unchecked, for-profit, commercial industry, which it seems to me in retrospect that the government was bending over backwards to accommodate, and everybody knew it, and the only thing that mattered was that the little brown envelopes of cash kept coming, to keep the staff and elected people quiet. She stopped speaking for a moment to regroup. Beside her, Mary coughed 
and then excused herself, crossing to her desk and rifling through papers. Jenna continued, I don't know this Donald King, but I bet that it was him I saw this morning talking to my CAO, Kevin Perkins. I showed up on my bicycle. They probably didn't hear me, but when I took off my helmet, I could hear them. They were in the service alley, talking, window to window. I watched this man in a dusty pickup truck hand an envelope of cash to Kevin Perkins, sitting in his flashy Audi RS Q8, and Perkins handed him the keys to the municipal works yard. Jenna looked at Mary, busy with something at her desk across the room, then at Jay Marksman. I'm sorry, Jay. I know that Kevin Perkins is your boss. When all this is over, I'm going to do something about this, I promise you. But for now, I need you to keep that to yourself, okay? There's only so much I can take on in one day. She smiled weakly. Jay nodded. She pressed on. They drove away just before the rest of you showed up. Right before that first quake, when we were having coffee, the email came to me. She called me right away, the one who sent it. Cynthia Jennings, said it came to me by accident. She threatened me and told me to delete it. She said she was going to send a man to hurt me, but I saw the video, the one that says it's bigger than just Mount Bridges and some toxins in a wetland, the one that shows how they've ruined this land I love and probably our water supply too for profit, and they aren't going to alert the authorities. Instead, they're going to try to cover it up let it happen so they can profit from it. If what that video says is true, and your photos seem to prove that, there's going to be so much catastrophic loss of life, human and wildlife, that it's astronomical. So yeah, I did the only decent thing that I could do. I put their video on YouTube and gave it a hashtag, and all of us, we started sharing it. She turned to look at Lodi. And the threat was true as well. A man showed up to hurt me. A man you stopped from getting to me because he would have. He would have grabbed a hold of Tamara and made her take him to me. So thank you. Carrie spoke up. He did, Jenna. He did say that he was looking for you. He did mention the slideshow. Lodi nodded. I heard him say that too. Look, I may have temporarily stopped him, but he's out there. Right now, we need to call the cops. Jenna smiled at him a little sadly. We tried that. We've been trying that all morning. I own the cops, they said to me on the phone this morning. And would you look at that? Suddenly, no one's answering at the police station. Not even the chief himself. And I have his cell phone number. Lodi scrubbed a hand across his jaw and looked at her. You're in deeper trouble than I realized. Hell, we all are. This video, this evidence that you've leaked, not only does it implicate flag for the fracking damage, it's evidence of the elite. She frowned at him. Go on. The video you have, the document. You have the actual minutes of a meeting in which the super rich sat around a table and made the choice to put their own economic interests ahead of the earth and other humans' lives. This is the kind of evidence that people have been looking for since my mother was a teenager. Tamara broke in. He's right. The forums that we're on, they talk about this all the time. 
that if there could only be some kind of proof that showed that these powerful interests are running things, that we could stop them. She looked at Carrie. He's right. This is exactly the kind of proof that they've been looking for. Lodi was nodding. This thing has the potential to be a flashpoint because it shows that there is a them and they have done a thing that people will be enraged about, maybe even enraged enough to overturn the system that makes this type of exploitation possible in the first place. Having gotten a hold of that, you put the thing online. He stopped speaking. A light came into his face, and when he smiled at her, she saw his face shine with it. That was heroic. There's no other word for it. You're right. People do need to know about this. People do need to get off the Bruce and out of the evac zone. But more than that, people do need to know that rich corporations pull the strings that run the workings of our world. They need to know that so that we can overthrow it, Carrie said, and all the usual mirth was gone from his expression. He pulled his long hair back from his face. His eyes were dead cold serious and Jenna got a glimpse of the man that Carrie would one day become. Jenna took a moment to let all this sink in. There was a glow in her body in response to Lodi's words. He had said she was heroic. She didn't feel heroic. She felt warm and flushed and tingly for the first time all day, hell, all year. She suddenly realized that she felt better in this moment than she had felt at all since the day she had last thought that the world was okay, sitting in her canoe, listening to the news on the radio, announced that the toxins had been found in the wetland. She took a moment to enjoy it, then she sighed. So, Mr. Military, if you were me, and you couldn't get the cops to come, and you had a piece of evidence, like what you're saying we have here to protect, and a man like Doucette after you, and only this building to defend yourself in, what would you do? There was no hesitation. Establish a perimeter, lock every door, every window, then find a defensible position we can see him from, keep an eye on him. Jenna thought for a moment. The council chambers, she said. Third floor, plenty of windows. We should be able to see him from there. Lodi nodded. Let's go. Anderson watched his video play over the internet, a thousand possibilities as to how it got there, appearing of their own accord inside his head. Methodically, he beat back every one of them. There was just no way his files could have been hacked. His system was secure. It had to be. When one was in business with Eric Cochran, one could not afford to be careless with sensitive information. Anderson understood that better than most. Eventually, he arrived at the only logical conclusion. The version of his presentation that was being broadcast on the internet had not originated from any errors of his. But if not, then how? How was it that the presentation that only the rarest of the rare in terms of wealth and privilege had been given access to, that Cochrane had killed a man to keep contained, had been leaked over the internet already, just a couple of hours after he'd finished giving it. He ran down the list of names, the faces of the people who had been in the room. Was one of them a spy? He rejected the possibility almost immediately. It would be madness to double-cross Cochrane. 
It would be madness for the average citizen, but for someone who had anything at all to lose, such as a vast and staggering hoard of wealth, it would be suicide. Cochrane had the power to bankrupt any one of them, and Anderson knew that protecting their net worth was the flag board member's priority. They were like a parasitic organism that fed off the rest of humanity, but in so doing, they were also welded to each other like a cluster of atrophied barnacles. Their fortunes were so intricately linked as to be nearly inseverable, and on the rare occasions when one of them died or was ousted for deviating from the party line, that one's wealth was absorbed by the others like a fetal twin absorbing its dead sibling's nutrients. It would be madness for any of them to leak these files deliberately, Anderson concluded, and if that was the case, the files had to have been shared accidentally. His face went white because a sudden terrifying thought had occurred to him. Had he been the one to make the error? He'd sent the information to one email address only, Cynthia's. Had he mistyped her address, sent the information to someone else? His fingers shook as he checked his email sent folder. The email had gone to her. He breathed a sigh of relief. The thought made him consider the possibility that the ice princess herself might have been the one to make the error. He toggled over to his inbox and opened the email Cynthia had forwarded after the meeting, the one containing the minutes in the slide deck. It only took a minute for Anderson to find the answer. Genwall 313. He clicked on Walter Jennings' name in his own contact list, Genwall 316. Aha, he thought. He sat back in his chair, tenting his fingers behind his head, thinking. He turned the situation over in his mind and examined it from all angles, following the patterns and analyzing all of the potential outcomes. And the conclusion that he came to was that what Cynthia had allowed to happen was extraordinary. This was an extraordinary course of events that Cynthia had put in motion. She let a copy of the slideshow slip from Flag's control and whomever had received it put it on the web where it was being shared. He wondered if Cynthia was even still alive. He cocked his head, straining his ears to hear any noise that might be echoing through the building, any sound of gunshots perhaps, but there was nothing. Better her mistake than mine, he thought. He was very curious to see exactly who it was that had posted it. His fingers lighting on the keyboard, he ran a search on General 313. General Walters, he thought. Make that Mayor General Walters, town of Mount Bridges. His eyes flicked back to the video, still playing in one window of his browser. Sure enough, down at the bottom of the screen, the YouTube channel was registered to the town of Mount Bridges. A hashtag caught his eye, get off the Bruce. That was good, but there was something even better down there in the little YouTube information panel, and that was the number of views. 116,347 views, he thought, and it was climbing as he watched. Holy cow. A flare of hope began to swell inside him. Maybe it wasn't too late to save those lives. Whoever this Jenna Walters was, she had recognized the urgency in his message and had acted upon it. She had posted the video under a hashtag that was trending. People were seeing it, lots of them, 
Maybe enough people would see it in time to get themselves to safety. A dopey grin broke over his face. The flare of hope grew larger. Maybe all his work would make a difference after all. He felt a little bad for Cynthia Jennings. She'd fucked up, and big time. There was nothing he could do about that. The leak had come from her, not him. Cochran was going to kill her. There was absolutely no question in his mind, but she may have saved millions of lives. He felt a momentary twinge of sadness for Cynthia just the same. On the heels of that thought came another. I'd better tell Cochran. If he finds out that I knew about the leak and didn't tell him. No, Anderson said aloud, stopping himself with the phone in his hand and the first two digits of Eric Cochran's number already dialed. He hung it up, hating that response in himself, the conditioned response that had almost made him put Cochran's interests ahead of what he knew was right. Nobody should have that much power. Nobody. But if he didn't tell Cochran, and Cochran somehow found out that he had known, Anderson didn't want to think about what would happen then. He knew what would happen. He'd be dead, straight up. Cochran would probably relish killing him probably would have killed him there in the boardroom that morning if it hadn't been for Stephen Arthur sitting there. If he did tell Cochran, it would only lead to Cochran tracking down this Jenna Walters and disappearing her and her YouTube video as well. And there was nothing about that that was right or good. She had done the right thing, the thing that he, Anderson, had not been able to do. She had put the information on the internet and 116,000 people knew about it now because of her. He couldn't let that happen. He couldn't let Cochran get to her. He needed time to think. He sat back down in the chair and tapped his fingers on his chin. If Cochran found out about the broadcast, it followed that he would come knocking on Anderson's door. Anderson, who had made a spectacle of himself that morning, pleading with Cochran to let him share the information with the public. Thinking of that moment now, Anderson cringed. A spark of hurt betrayal flared in his eyes, but he pushed that aside. If Cochran came knocking, when Cochran came knocking, it would be a simple matter for Anderson to feign surprise, pretend concern, then hit upon the idea of following the history on Cynthia's laptop to see where the mistake had been made. It would likely mean her life but wasn't the loss of one life better than the loss of millions? He nodded slowly, surprised at himself. He had made the decision to withhold information from Eric Cochran. A little thrill went through him. If Cochran came knocking, he would be ready. He reached out to close his computer, then paused. His eye fell once again on the Mount Bridges YouTube page. Under contact information, there was a name that caught his attention. J. Marksman, IT department, with a phone number. Had Marksman been the one to post the slideshow on the net? Anderson thought he probably had. He made a mental note to buy the man a beer if they ever met in person. Then on impulse, he picked up his mobile and stored J. Marksman's number. Methodically, he deleted all traces of the YouTube channel from the browser history of his laptop. Then he closed the blinds on his window. Leaning back in his chair, his fingers clasped behind his head, Anderson Arthur smiled.
Let Cochrane clean up his own mess for once, he thought. He would sit back and watch to see what happened. All right, everybody. Well, I'm going to leave it there for today, and I will be back tomorrow with Chapter 8. Uh, wherever you are in the world, uh, I hope that you are taking care of yourself and trying to keep an, uh, an upbeat and positive attitude and um, be kind to each other. I know it's hard, um, but the best thing we can do is be kind to each other. I really believe that. Stay free.